This is one of those songs where you can just let it go. I don't know when to come in at the intro. <laughs> hey, welcome everybody. My name is Joey Police. This is the uh, Topic of Choice podcast, and I'm going to let that music die out, but uh, when you guys are listening to it, we'll let it go a little longer. But um, with me tonight, my guest, my friend, uh, Paige Williams, joining us uh, from here in uh, Lexington, right? I'm in Nicholasville. You're in Lexington, though, right? I'm welcome, in Lexington. Paige. Hello. Um, so Paige, tell me, uh, well, I'm, we're going to get into the, to the content here, but tell me a little bit, um, give us a little bit about your background with regards to what the, uh, discussion is going to be about tonight, who you are, just give us some, some, some of your background and, uh, just for the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So we're here tonight, obviously to talk about bodybuilding and competitive bodybuilding and my experience in that whole, uh, world over the past um, three years or so. Um, but to take you back a little bit further. So, um, I was born and raised, um, in Alabama. Uh, I've got three or I've got two younger sisters. Um, and we moved around a lot as I was growing up. Um, being the oldest of three daughters, my parents are not, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Inclined to be sports minded. So we did not grow up in a sports household. We did not grow up in okay. a household where athleticism or anything like that was kind of, um, valued or put importance was placed on that growing up. So, um, growing up, um, in Alabama, North Carolina, Indiana, um, my family and I were really big into, um, movies and plays and musicals. We had that real kind of theater background going on in our house. I never touched a football, never touched a basketball, um, never played soccer, anything like that. So um, all of that growing up for me was super foreign. Um, It wasn't until my early 20s, I can remember the first time that I decided, hey, I'm going to exercise. I'm going to get fit. Uh, It was six months before my wedding. And I was like, I got to get in shape for the wedding. How old were you again? I was 20 at the time. I, okay. okay. I was a baby. I got married. Um, I always joke. My first legal drink was on my honeymoon. So um, <laughs> yeah, I was really, really young. So I decided six months before the wedding. Now, granted, I was already like barely 110 pounds at the time. I okay. just was always lean. I was like, I'm going to get in shape for the wedding, get in fit in my wedding dress. So I decided to start exercising, which... Um, back then exercise for me was cardio. Like I just ran and ran and ran and ran for six months, um, just to get in shape for the wedding. And then after I got married, my husband came from a completely opposite background for me, huge, um, into sports, like a walking almanac of everything sports related, grew up playing all (laughs) the sports, um, in elementary, middle and high school. And so once we got married, my very, very first introduction into anything, um, weight, we weight related was with him in the basement of this crappy old school building. We would go down there and I don't even remember what we would do, like just kind of, you know, mess around with different machines or whatnot. So I kind of got like a feel for what is a dumbbell, like literally had never picked a dumbbell up in my life. Um, so all throughout my twenties, I, you know, stuck on that cardio bunny kind of thing. We bought an elliptical I like wore it down to the wore threads down. Like it was dead by the time we finally got rid of it. Um, had a couple of kids moved to Lexington eventually. Um, when I turned 30, um, my husband's job brought us here. So 
fast forward to um, my mid-30s, I discovered CrossFit. And um, CrossFit, you know, takes highly varied uh, movements and kind of creates like a functional fitness background for you. So I started picking up barbells and wall balls and dumbbells and moving my body and doing all these different things that I had never done before. And I found a real passion for it. Um, so that's kind of what led me to the world of fitness in general from that initial, you know, small upbringing in Alabama, never even knowing anything about sports to all of a sudden 35 years later, fast forward, I'm in the gym, throwing barbells around and doing fitness, things like that. Yeah. I, I think to give some context, uh, the way that Paige and I know each other, uh, know each other is through CrossFit conductor. And, and in a previous episode, uh, you can hear Eric's interview from his gym and CrossFit. So, um, basically if you haven't caught on tonight's, you know, discussion is what it takes to become a bodybuilder. Um, and from a, from a female perspective at that, which I think is, um, the whole sport in itself, I've done a little bit of research with this right. uh, from the time that you and I have started talking to, you know, to where we are now, um, actually having this conversation. It is right. incredibly fascinating. And and I've seen Pumping Iron. I've seen the the movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger right. and, you, right. know, the, you know, you see all the, the popular posts. But when you get granular with it, when you begin to really see what's involved with that sport. It is extremely intense, um, not only physical, but, uh, you know, can you speak about, let's talk about the physical, but I know there's also a a mental aspect to that as well in order to get your body into that type of, um, that conditioning. uh, Yeah. Condition. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks. For sure. So, um, just to kind of like bring it down a little bodybuilding, um, you know, it's, it's the sport or the art of developing, your body, specifically your physique through exercise and diet. Um, and even more specifically to take that to a level of competition on stage. Um, bodybuilders like myself, like you throw that term around loosely. A lot of times you'll hear people say, Oh, I'm doing some bodybuilding stuff in the gym. I'm doing a bro sesh, things like that. Um, (laughs) but when you compete in the sport, um, you take it to an extreme level where you take your body to its peak physical uh, stage or performance level. And you put that on a stage and you're judged solely on your appearance, your, the appearance of your physique on, um, that stage. Uh, men obviously compete in different classes in bodybuilding and women compete in different classes in bodybuilding. And even within the world of bodybuilding, you can get even more distinct. Um, there's two major federation federations or organizations, the NPC and the, uh, NGA. Um, the biggest difference between those being in the NPC, you're not drug tested if you win. And in the NGA, if you win, you are drug tested um, and you have to show a clean drug test. You would think it would come before the, uh, the, the competition, right? Not after. Yeah. And that's a whole other can of worms because people have gotten really smart over the years in the NGA and they know how to cycle those out of their system. Um, So you will find competitors in the NGA who have been on some type of performance enhancing drug or something um, to assist them to get to that level, but they've, they've cleared it out of their system. They've, you know, cycled off of it before the show so they can pass a clean bill of health or whatever. Yeah. Um, so in my specific instance, um, I've obviously as a woman competing in bodybuilding, there's, there's different levels, there's figure physique, there's bikini, there's a newer, um, 
there's a newer one called wellness, which is kind of, uh, in between bikini and, um, figure. So it's, it's like the, I don't really know how else to explain it, except it's right smack in the middle between your typical bikini bodybuilder and then your more, more dense muscular, uh, physique bodybuilder. Um, wellness is just a little bit different distinction there. Um, so I competed specifically in bikini, uh, bodybuilding in the NPC. So, um, there were no drug tests for any of the women that I competed against on stage. Um, it's kind of a badge of honor for me to say that I did compete naturally without any performance enhancing drugs or diuretics, fat burners, anything along those lines. Because um, even in today's age in bodybuilding, even with bikini, which is kind of like the the gateway or the entry level into bodybuilding, you're finding more and more bikini competitors um, cycling something that they're taking to enhance Mm. their physique beyond what they do just in the gym. Not all bikini does that and not all bodybuilders do that um, at any level, but it's becoming more and more common. So I find I, I say it's a badge of honor for me to say that I competed naturally and was able to as far as I did. Um, so bikini, like I mentioned is kind of that gateway or that entry level. Um, mostly because, uh, the physique of a bikini competitor. Um, you know, you think of Arnold Schwarzenegger as your typical male bodybuilder. That's just Mm -hmm. what comes to mind when people think of bodybuilding. And then for your female, uh, I tend to think of the woman with the sparkly bikini on stage and the long flowing hair and very, very skinny and super tan. That's typically what your uh, female bikini bodybuilder looks like. Um, you don't need a lot of density in your muscles to get to that stage as bikini bodybuilder. Um, so it doesn't take as much time to get to that level for your standard competitor. So let me, let me interrupt real quick to, 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 um, clarify your type of competition is not the bodybuilding of, of, um, cause I, I've seen some female bodybuilders that are just gigantic. Yes. They are massive. Yes. So, so just for context and, and those listening, that's not your, no, that's, that's not, not your area. Yours so, is, is the bikini. Yeah. So that's more physique when you're thinking like you're like, okay. like I always, before I was educated in the world of bodybuilding, you're thinking of those women that look huge on steroids and they're jacked as big as the guys, you know, with the huge legs and whatnot. That's a totally different uh, division within uh, the competitive world of bodybuilding. So in bikini, you're looking for a woman that has a general overall um, well-defined physique, very lean. Mm -hmm. Um, They're looking Mm -hmm. for definition in very specific areas of your body, like your delts. So your shoulders, they want to see very defined. They want to see your glutes, your backside, very well defined. They want to see a very small waist. So if you think of an hourglass, that's literally the figure that a bikini bodybuilder is trying to create, trying to manipulate by growing their muscles and shrinking their waist. When you knew that you wanted to get serious with it, did you get a coach? Did you get somebody to guide you or was it all on your own? No. So, um, And I didn't even know what it meant to get serious with bodybuilding when I decided to do it. So I met a friend um, while I was CrossFitting in my 30s, and she came from a bodybuilding background, and she had since retired from it and was CrossFitting. And so for years and years, we're going three or four years here, she would always say, you would be so great at bodybuilding and doing the bikini (laughs) division. She's planting that seed. Oh my gosh. And I had no idea what that meant. I just was like, oh, okay, I'll put a bikini on and step on stage. Sure. I don't know. And I always just brushed it aside. So when I finally decided to do it, 
um, she directed me to her very good friend who um, became my coach when I when I started my very first prep. And again, bodybuilding is such a huge world that to say I went into my first prep is a little bit misleading because typically when somebody decides to start a journey of competitive bodybuilding, they start with a coach and they go into a building phase before they go into a prep. So, so break it down. What, what yeah. building and then prep. Yep. So building phases, you're literally building up your muscle. Um, you know, you may get somebody that's hardly ever stepped foot or maybe never stepped foot in a gym and is like, you know what? I want to become a bodybuilding competitor. Um, so they'll hire a coach and the coach will put them immediately, you know, on a meal plan and a, uh, workout or exercise plan. And they'll work with that coach for several months before they even get to the point of where they need to start cutting for a for their show, cutting meaning cutting out their food um, and whittling their bodies down to that stage level of leanness. Um, what I did was kind of the opposite of that. I just decided on a, on a day in April that I'm going to do a bodybuilding show, hired a coach the next Friday and started my prep on a Monday. Um, now in my case, it was a little <laughs> bit different because having come from that background of CrossFit for several years, I had built the density in my muscles that I needed, um, to prepare myself for that prep. I was familiar with the gym. I was very fit, um, overly fit in some ways, ways that weren't, um, that weren't good for the division of bodybuilding that I was trying to go into. It was interesting because she was like, we got to get those traps down. My traps were too big. Um, <laughs> like we had to really work to like do exercises that wouldn't, um, enhance my traps. Um, we had to really work on something called vacuuming where I learned to like squeeze in my core really tight because a lot of what I had been doing in CrossFit, um, had created a very boxy figure in my shape. So we had a lot okay. of, so I hired a coach to go back to your original question. Um, and she immediately put me on a meal plan where we tracked my macros, my carbs, my fats, and my proteins every single day and put me on an exercise plan. And, uh, we worked for, I believe it was 18 weeks to hit my first goal of my first show. How old are you at this point? Um, I was, let's see, that was in 2000. I was 39. Um, and I turned, no, I was 38 turning 39. So I competed my first show. I was 39 years old. Um, okay. a lot of bodybuilders are much, much younger than that. Um, a lot of mo- it, just a lot of the bodybuilders are much younger than that. But uh, the bodybuilding, uh, world also is like CrossFit where you've got your age groups. It, yes. it, it goes all the way up to master's level, right? Yes. So within any given division, so bikini, for example, um, the show is broken down into several divisions. Um, bodybuilding for bikini specifically is not a weight class. It's a height class. So your weight oh, doesn't interesting. matter in, in bikini. And it's interesting because we talk about how skinny we need to be. And so obviously you want to correlate that to a number on the scale. Um, but in reality, the number on the scale does not matter compared to anyone else. Um, it obviously matters from where you started to where you finish um, just to make sure you're losing weight but it doesn't matter when you step on stage. So within bikini, everything is categorized by height classes. Um, and it's just, you know, class A is a certain height, class B is the next certain height, hmm. C, D, E, depending on how large the show is. Then beyond that, um, they have what they call novice classes. 
Um, if you are a true novice, a brand new competitor to any bodybuilding stage, or if you are a novice, meaning you've competed, but you've never won a novice division. Um, then there's also master's classes, which is uh, age group, age classifications. Um, most of the female women bodybuilders, obviously under the age of 35 are in just their regular open classes. And then once you're in master's, there's master's age classes, 35 to 39, 40 right. to 45, so on and so forth. So you, you enter into your first competition, you get your coach, you begin, you said immediate prep, uh, prep, an is that right? An immediate prep. So what that means is you, um, my coach, for example, now every coach has a little bit of a different, um, way that they, you know, do their methods. Um, but my coach, since we had not worked together previously, like I said, I decided one day to do a prep. I hired her the next day. I started the next day. Um, we took the first two weeks of my quote unquote prep, uh, as kind of like a baseline. We, she set me on a, a certain set of fairly generous macros. So a fairly generous amount of food, um, that she had me eating, um, for two solid weeks and put me on my first exercise plan. We started, I started weighing in weekly, checking in with her weekly, um, through a very long form of information that I would fill out every week. I mean, it goes as detailed as how many bowel movements did you have this week? Um, wow. what is your mental state this week? You know, what is your weight? Tell me, uh, how you're, you know, I mean, it's just extremely detailed. Um, and then after that second week, we kind of got that baseline of what my body was doing with that food. Then by week three, we started methodically cutting the food out and week to week that would change and whittle, whittle away more and more and more until, um, the final day, which was show day. I know, I know from a training standpoint, the, the, one of the events that I did was a marathon at one point in my life and it was in 2016. And, um, I remember the training for that was quite rigorous and you have to stay committed to it and you've run a marathon, correct? Right. Yeah. Right. And and, yeah, yeah. I'm one and done as well. (laughs) Um, where I'm going with this is there were weekends, there were days in the week where, uh, I, I could do the runs, but mentally, it was taking a toll with every, everyone in my, in my immediate circle, you know, um, and, and tell me a little bit about how uh, cutting and how, when, when, when the food started to cut down the caloric intake and so on, what does that look like? I mean, that, that's, so it can, it that's can, yeah. So it can get pretty extreme. Again, the thing with bodybuilding is every coach is different. Every um, coach kind of, takes a different route on how they get their competitors to that final stage day. Um, body, how do I say this? So, you know, my coach, for example, so I can only speak from my experience. I can sure. you know, speak to what I've read others have had to do or how extreme or not extreme they've had to go. Um, you know, I've had some friends that were able to have what we call cheat meals. I mean, that's a phrase that's thrown around very loosely. Yeah, yeah. Every, I think everyone knows what that is. Um, Some of them I have them more than once a week, like me. Meals, yeah, every single week. So for the you know duration of their prep, whether it was an eight-week prep or a 16-week prep, they were able to go out and have a burger and fries every Friday night. Um, yeah. Then there are preps like myself where I had very, very strict macros, and I was not allowed to deviate off of that at all for the entirety of the 18 weeks. And so mm. exactly to your point um, – as it would get closer and closer 
and the food was getting less and less, but you were still required to uh, perform in the gym at a certain level, you had to push through those uh, mental and physical and emotional blocks. You did not have a choice. I mean, obviously I had a choice. There was no one holding a gun to my head. But if I wanted to step on that stage with any type of physique that was at all competitive, you had no choice. You had to follow the plan to AT. There was not a single day where you could miss your gallon of water or not hit your macros within one to two grams um, of difference from what they were given to you. Um, Bodybuilding is a very selfish sport. Mm. Also speaking to what you said about, you know, balancing family life and social life. Yeah. Um, You've got two kids, right? Yes. I have two kids. Um, at the time they were going into, I want to say third grade and sixth grade. So they were a bit younger. Um, bodybuilding is an extremely selfish sport and your significant other, your family, your social circle, whoever it is that you surround yourself with have to agree to let you be the number one priority to anyone that crosses your path for the amount of time that you were in that prep. Um, and I did not realize what that truly meant. Like I can say that to you and those words make sense. Cause you know, the definitions of all those words and the sentence makes sense, but to yeah. truly live it is a completely different thing. Um, so it's very, it was very interesting to me. I came into bodybuilding because my friend said I'd be good at it. I thought the girls in the bikinis looked beautiful. And I was like, yeah, I can do this. I work out every day anyways. I, you know, don't eat unhealthy as it is. I can make this work. And so I, I jumped into this prep and started following my coach and very quickly realized what it truly meant to prep for a bodybuilding competition. And it was a much bigger, um, Mm picture than what I realized it was. It was extremely difficult to, 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 to navigate social and family time. Walk us through the results of your first competition and then why, and you've done two, correct? I've done two. Yeah. So, and then, um, and then going into the second one. Yeah. So my first competition, like I said, was in 2019, August of 2019 is when I competed. This is pre COVID obviously Yep. It's not on the horizon. And that plays into my second competition here in a second. Um, so daily walking, getting to the comp- competition day is very much like Groundhog's Day. It never changes. Mm-hmm. Besides the fact that your coach may manipulate your food intake or change your training plan, the overall day is the same day to day to day for however long your prep is. In my case, 18 weeks, you know, um, again, weekly things don't change. Um, the closer you get to, um, show day, like I said, your food gets less and less. Um, by the end of my first prep, I want to say I was at roughly 1100 calories a day. If you Ooh. break it down into calories. Um, what are you at now? I'm just curious. And, and let me, you know, let me, I'm not uh, tracking so much anymore. <clears throat> my maintenance for my age and weight and physical activity maintenance calories for me are somewhere between 1900 and two, two, 2000. Um, okay. I'm 
currently putting myself through a slight deficit, a slight you know, cut in my macros, I'm somewhere between 16 and 1700 a day right now. Um, and again, I should give this as a caveat. These are not macros for anybody that could be listening this to this to follow. Um, these are right, right. designed specifically for me and my body and my age and the level of fitness that I'm at right now. Yeah. So yeah. And take pages, right. Anyone that's listening, this is, you know, consult your, your physician and, and coach and, you know, you have to do what's right for you pages. Yeah. This 100%. is what's right for her. Um, so and, 11, Oh yeah. What were you saying? No, I was, I was going to say real quick, tell us your, you are, give us your credentials real quick because you're a CrossFit, um, instructor level one. And tell us a little bit about that to give the listeners context. You know what you're doing. Yeah. So I came into this with a, like I said, CrossFit was really where I finally like figured out that I loved the world of fitness, you know, the elliptical, Mm. the treadmill wasn't cutting it. So while I was learning, um, the world of CrossFit, I have, um, my certified personal training certification through NASM. So I'm a certified personal trainer. Um, I have my level one certification through CrossFit. Um, I have a TRX certification as well. Those TRX bands where you do a lot of body weight stuff. Um, I've coached, uh, at several different gyms throughout my, um, forge into, you know, the world of fitness. I'm an orange theory fitness coach. Um, I coach at, uh, CrossFit conductor as well. I do personal yep. training on the side. I'm actually really excited. I'm starting a personal training um, for some some kiddos that I interact with. So, long story short, yes, I am not brand new to you know yeah. the world of fitness. I know what I'm talking about here. Yep. Um, but yeah, so the closer you get to show day, your food, like I said, that's a big part of it gets less and less. Your intensity has to stay as high. Um, your cardio also ramps up the closer you get to show day. It's interesting because a lot of times you would think, well, if you're working out so hard, you must be doing tons and tons of cardio throughout a prep to get to the level that you need to be on stage. You probably don't have the energy to do it. Well, you have to. And that's the thing. So by the end of my prep, I was doing anywhere from 40 to 60 minutes of cardio a day in addition to my weight training, in addition to living my life as best I could while on very, very low um, food intake. So by the end of your prep, there's something that's called prep brain. um, And everybody laughs about it and we joke about it, but it's I, I equate it to literally your brain like starting to shut down because it's with it's lacking the nutrition that it needs to perform at its like optimal normal level of daily function. Um, we put a lot of cute phrases around the world of bodybuilding, but in reality, prep brain is not anything that anybody should ever want to have or like want right. to to get to. It's a very it's a very uh, it's just not a good state to be in. So. Um, you go through prep bank, your, uh, emotional and mental clarity is not there. The closer you get to show day, um, you just, it's just, it's totally different experience. Um, bodybuilders will start to isolate themselves more and more the closer they get to Hmm. show day because they are so focused on the goal that they're trying to achieve. And the regular world is one, not choosing to live that life, but two, just cannot understand what our emotions are and what our mental state is at the time. And so it's easier for us to just kind of shut the world out and just get into our own little hole and dig in and just keep moving till the end. You had mentioned to me in, in uh, conversations that led up to the the talk that we're having something called being fit famous. What is that? So I, 
um, equate it to uh, skinny privilege, thin privilege. And that's something that, you know, is out there in society now. It is, it is very well shown that there is thin privilege in the world. Um, those, of, those individuals that are, are very fit or very lean, they just are favored more in general. And so in specifically the bodybuilding world, the closer you get to your stage physique, you're obviously getting leaner and um, skinny privilege is a very real thing. You get more attention in the gym. You get more attention from your coach. You get um, attention from different people that want to, you know, do photo shoots with you or have you model their clothing brand or, Mm. um, you know, support whatever supplement they want you to take, say that you're taking whatever pre-workout it is, you know, so the closer you get, the more, um, the more attention you get. And even in bodybuilding itself and specifically bikini, you're literally being judged by how thin and beautiful you look on stage. The thinner you are with the better muscles and the more beautiful you are, the better your chances are of winning. Um, And I guess I should have mentioned this at the beginning. Bikini is an overall appearance. It's not just about, we don't go up on stage and don't pull tape measure out and measure your shoulders to see (laughs) who's got the bigger shoulders or measure your butt to see whose butt's the biggest. Um, It's an overall package. So down to the shoes that you have on, the nail color you have, the color of your suit, how your hair looks, um, you're being very much judged on that final, extremely lean uh, appearance that you're putting on stage. So skinny privilege, thin privilege is a very real thing and you experience it very, um, very much so as you get closer to the end of a prep leading up to that show day. I would say that social media has done nothing but exacerbate that and continues to uh, exacerbate. So that yeah, so exacerbate the world that. of fitness right now, I feel like is in a really weird spot. There is so much focus on the phrase bodybuilding. It's become a catchphrase. Mm. It's thrown out there all the time. You can be on Instagram for just, you know, a very short amount of time and you find, um, a fitness influencer out there that's doing some form of bodybuilding exercise. And then the next thing you know, your whole feed is filled with it. And you're seeing all these women talking about growing bigger glutes and having a smaller waist. And it's just prevalent everywhere you go. Um, and for competitors, it becomes a very mental game because you are very easily able to find other people that are working towards your show as well. And you start to compare yourself to them and then you start to obsess over them and you'll start to follow Mm. their Instagram account and look for their daily updates and their weekly posts of what their body looks like. And then you start to zoom in and compare your ab line to their ab line. Do your ham glute tie-ins match their ham glute tie-ins? You know, like it gets very, very nitpicky. And so um, it seems like it could be a a very dangerous uh, uh, rabbit hole to go down. Absolutely. And so that's, um, one of, it's interesting. I say this because then I didn't went and did it all over again a second time. Um, but having <laughs> one, you know, having gone through it twice, it's one of and the, you re- won the second time, right? I did. So yeah, I guess. So back to your original question. Yes. Yeah, so in my first show, I entered five different categories. Um, And these may not, the words may not mean a lot to everybody out there, but true novice, meaning I had never competed in my life. Um, Novice was just another level of true novice. So there's a true novice level where people who have never stepped on a stage are allowed to put their compete in. And then novice, it could be people that have stepped on a stage, but have never won anything or someone like myself 
who's also never stepped on the stage. So true novice, novice, I was able to enter my height class. I was able um, to enter. So my height class was my open class. Then they had a special height open class within the state of Kentucky where only Kentucky competitors um, residents could compete. And then my master's class, which was an age class. So I had two different height classes an age class and then two different novice classes for new. So I entered a total of five classes in my very first show back in 2019. And I placed first in all five um, classes. Yeah. That's Um, incredible. I was completely shocked when that happened so much to the point where I did not realize that my first place win had qualified me for nationals for a national show. Um, so what I competed in in 2019 was a local show, meaning it was just, you know, in my state of Kentucky, any normal local show. If you win your class place first or second in one of your open classes, you are eligible then to compete on a national show, a national stage. And I entered two open classes and won first place in both of them. And that qualified me to compete on a national stage, which I didn't even know that until a couple of days later, my friend was like, so what national show are you going to do? And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I still didn't understand what I had done. And then she told me and I was like, wow, I had no idea that that's what that was. Um, so yeah, so my first show, 2019, August, placed fifth. Um, and then COVID hit okay. uh, a handful of months later. Um, and so I didn't compete again until April of 2021, which was my second show. So we were still pretty deep in covid maybe kind of seeing the end in sight. Um, but my second show was, um, in April of 2021, but before we even get to that show, we need to talk about, um, how to reverse out of a prep. Yes. (laughs) That's a whole other, um, that's a whole other podcast. (laughs) (laughs) This could go, I mean, we, we, we've hardly even scratched the surface, but to give everybody an idea, when you get to stage day and you compete, regardless of your placing, you're at, you know, that very low, um, intake of food and your body's just taxed at that point. Um, you have nothing left to give. And that's kind of where they want you to be on stage day. It is in an unhealthy level of leanness that they're judging us on, which why would anybody do that? You know, like I'm hearing everything you're telling. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, we're, 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 we're asked to be Barbies on stage for one day and then turn your life around and just go back to normal or whatever normal is for you. But there's a process of reverse dieting, um, after show day to get you back to a hopefully healthy place, um, physically and mentally, you know, and emotionally in your life. Once the show is over a reverse diet, um, can last weeks or months depending on, how your body responds to the food, um, and the training that is given to you after your show is over. So, um, a lot of competitors have a really tough time coming off of a stage and reverse dieting in a healthy or proper way. I was one of those competitors. Mm. Um, my first reverse diet was a huge fail. I worked with my coach, for about four weeks after my August show, um, she was increasing my food slowly, which you should do. And 
I wasn't following the rules. I was eating what I wanted, when I wanted. I wasn't telling her what I was eating. I was eating a bunch of junk food that I had been deprived of for 16 to 18 weeks. Um, yeah. I was eating huge portions of the food that I was eating. I would cook dinners for my family and I would eat like the hearty man portion of that mm. meal, you know, like, um, and it's weird when you diet down so much, there's like a disconnect between your brain and your stomach at that point. Your, your brain knows it's full, but it doesn't communicate that to your body. So your body doesn't feel full. So you just keep eating and eating and eating. And I was overeating and eating too much. And, um, I gained a lot of weight back in a very short amount of time to put it in perspective. I was at like 10% body fat the day I stepped on stage and I gained, I want to say about 20 pounds in the span of four to five weeks. Four. Okay. Four to five weeks. That sounds extreme. I was going to say 20 pounds at 10% body fat probably is a, I mean, is a normal, I don't know, Paige, right. uh, but, but four to five weeks, I can, I can guess that's, that's probably not the way you want to do it. Right. And a lot of that body weight that I gained back was in the form of fat. That's how my yeah. body translated the food, the energy that the food was giving me, tra- turned it into fat on my body as opposed yeah. to muscle. I didn't gain 20 pounds of muscle back in four weeks. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I gained quite a bit of fat um, after my show was over. Um, in those four weeks. Um, so that brings in a whole other mental aspect to the world of bodybuilding. You know, you work so hard to become the prettiest and the leanest and the most desirable on stage to turn around four weeks later to be nothing, uh, a shell, not even, not a shell. You, you know, you're, Mm. you're a complete opposite of that. You can't even put the bikini on anymore because it doesn't fit Mm. you that you just wore four weeks ago, your body looks completely different than it probably did before you even started your prep when that started. So, um, it's a really tough ride mentally to go from show day to through your reverse, um, to the end of your reverse, whether that's because you failed your reverse and you quit it or because you completed it to whatever level it is that your body goes to. It's just a very tough mental, uh, time in your life to see those changes to your body. I know that I know that I want to be respectful of your time page. And I, I want to ask you this, um, you're a mom and you have, you have a teenager, right? I do. Right. And, um, a 14 year old daughter at that, you know, right in the midst of a growing body, a life, you know, figuring her own self out. And, and I think this, this conversation could go, could go very deep and, and very broad. I have a 13 year old daughter. I have a 11 year old daughter and I've got a, we've got a 14 year old, a 15 year old son. My gosh, okay. 15. Anyway. Um, what do you tell those teenage girls now that are, you know, that are looking online, that are looking at, at, uh, social media that are seeing yeah. this, what advice and, and how do you, how do you coach those young minds at this yeah, point? So that's a really tricky one. So, uh, with my first prep, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I think I did. I will admit that I think it did some damage to my daughter's um, view of the world of what women should want to attain fitness wise in their lives. Um, 
I have worked really hard in my second prep and I swear we could talk like probably three or four podcast episodes on everything. Cause we've barely scratched the surface. Um, I've worked really hard to make sure that she knew that what I was doing was not healthy. And that's so weird to say I'm choosing to be extremely selfish and do a very unhealthy thing to my body to get to this level. Um, but I, I just made it very clear to her that what I was doing was more of a mental um, work for me as yeah. more than a physical uh, thing for me. That yes, I I looked great on stage. I was tan and sparkly. I had hair extensions. I you know had the fake nails. I looked literally like a Barbie on stage. Um, but that's not why I did what I did. I did what I did to prove some things to myself mentally and personally that I could yes. do very hard things, that I could uh, withstand, <clears throat> um, you know, really, really tough um, things in my life and power through them and come out stronger on the other end. And that kind of leads into why I did do the second prep because I failed the first prep so miserably from the beginning all the way through the reverse. The prep was not easy. The stage day was not easy. The reverse was not easy. I, I failed it so miserably, even though I won five trophies that are literally sitting under my stairs in my basement. I failed it so incredibly hard that I wanted to prove to myself and my daughter and my family that it could be done properly and could be done with success and you could come out stronger in the end in a positive way. And so I just, um, tried to reiterate to her over and over again. It wasn't about what I was doing to get to the stage. It was about the very end result, getting through the reverse and powering through and having the mental fortitude and the, um, the willpower and the patience and teaching myself all of these things mentally and emotionally, um, which was what was important to me. Um, and now it's great because it still was a tough prep the second time. And there are still things that my family would say they wish I had never done it. Um, but I was just having a conversation with my daughter and four of her 14 year old friends yesterday, and they want me to train them and teach them how to, um, grow big muscles and pick up big, heavy weights. So I know something I've done there has, resonated with them and they do see a value in it. So we will do a part two. I'm going to force you to do that or ask you very nice. Yeah. Because, and, and because I can tell you my, uh, my, my daughter will listen to this and I guarantee she will come in and go, can I, can I talk with her? Can I, and I you would know, love because, to. I'll go, let's go she, she runs track, she swims, she does cross country and, and she really loves the fitness aspect. And I say that because people listening that are, that are parents or, or if you're a young individual that's listening to this, um, uh, you know, to, to be able to, um, see the journey that another person has gone down, um, is, is not only one, uh, that's where wisdom is and that's where you find guidance and that's where you find, Hey, what potholes do I, do I avoid on that road? But I would also encourage anyone, no matter what that endurance event is, and, and you know, Paige is yes. a good example. Uh, you know, I was an endurance junkie for a period of time. Find whoever it is. These challenges m- grow you. They, 100%. these are the things that, that take you to the brink, no matter what it is in that event. Right. Um, or, or, or life, life changing, um, whatever it is. Right. It, that's Any where you physical, grow. It's in the pain. Yeah. That's going to physically tax you and take you 
to that, that level that you didn't know you were possible to get to, you will grow mentally from it in some way. You will learn something about yourself. Maybe you'll learn something that you don't like about yourself. Yes but that's an opportunity for you to grow and change that. Or you learn that you were able to do something you had no idea and that you will take with you for the rest of your life. Um, I have learned so many lessons from the world of bodybuilding. Would I do it ever again? That was going to be my next question. (laughs) My family would divorce me. I would be, (laughs) I would be living in my car Somewhere in the state of Kentucky, you will find me at Red River Gorge hiding out in the tree. They will never allow me to do it again. Um, the competitor in me wants to do it so bad. And yeah. you asked me this today, it's competition season. My feed is filled with women that I've competed with that are yeah. getting ready to step on stage or have just stepped on stage. And oh, that I itch so is probably, yeah. Yeah. So badly. The competitor in me wants to do it. But um, the wife, the mother, the friend, the coach, yeah. uh, absolutely not. I, I will never do it again. Um, and again, that's podcast part 23. <laughs> 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 We're competitive bodybuilding because I could give you a whole list of reasons why. <laughs> Let me ask you this last question, uh, Paige. Um, what would you tell your younger self? You know, if you could, you could go back, you could just sit with a cup of coffee across from the younger page, getting ready to do this. What would you say? I would tell her that who she is, is good enough that Mm. she doesn't need to do anything more to try to be better. That who she is at that moment in time was good enough and she didn't need to do anything more. And that, that she is amazing. was perfect the way she was. I, I, that's a perfect answer. Uh, it just, thank you. Okay. That's great. Um, well, yeah, we're going to have to do like two or three because there's just, we haven't covered it all. Barely. Um, yeah. <laughs> that was a super high level overview of competitive bodybuilding. But it's such a fascinating culture. It, it, it really is. And, and, uh, like I said earlier, I did a little bit of research on it, um, and yeah, th- there's just a lot more that we can talk about. And and not only that, but um, from different perspectives as well. So anyway, uh, guys, thank you all for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. Um, my guest tonight again is um, my friend Paige Williams. And my name is Joey Police. This is the Topic of Choice podcast. Uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks again. Thanks so much. Taking on my wrist, on my wrist. Taking all the liquor straight, never chase that. Never stop like we bring an 88 back. What? Bring the hook scene where the bass at. Champagne spilling, you should taste that.